Welcome to That Movie Was, a movie discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by my co-host, Michael. I'm Michael, the other host. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well, Michael. We've on a, been on a little bit of a hiatus here, but it's because we watched a movie tonight with so many characters in it that uh, we just have copious notes here. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, out of the, most of the other movies I've been watching, this, this is, everyone, this is my choice, obviously. It's my choice to choose the movie, but this one particularly has a lot to go with it so i think it'll make an enjoyable episode so in case somebody out there is just randomly clicking on podcasts doesn't even see what the title is this episode the movie that we're watching lock stock and two smoking barrels from 1998 i seem to have a connection going on here between our episodes of doing gangster movies like the first one we do is that i chose was gangs of new york new york and then and then rounders which is i mean they're they're card players but they yeah, get card into, players but they then they get into like the the you know uh they get in trouble and they go into the crowd and stuff like that and here i am makers, yes exactly and then here <laughs> i am choosing another gangster film except guys this one's a british gangster film so it's extra special yeah totally different <laughs> yeah, exactly Oh, instead of cops, they have uh, traffic wardens as well. Yeah, out exactly. This movie. They, they call them causes. Is the bacon causes? <laughs> I was wondering when the first British accent was going to be during this episode, and it did not take oh, very dude. long. Yeah, what are we at? Like three minute points? Three minutes, yeah, I believe. I held as uh, long as I could. So, listener, in case you're not familiar with this movie, this is a movie by Guy Ritchie. Uh, it was a writer, director. Uh, If that name sounds familiar, um, this was sort of his first uh, feature-length movie. He had a short one before this. Um, But he was also the writer-director of Snatch. Um, He did the uh, two Sherlock Sherlock Holmes movies um, Mm -hmm. that were like, you know, mid-2000s with Robert Downey Jr. Um, I believe the first one came in like 2009. Yeah, oh, okay. and then he, yeah, and then he just—he also just. I think the most noteworthy one is um, the one he just put out last year, "The Gentleman" with Matthew McConaughey. Well, I would say his most noteworthy one might be Aladdin. Oh uh, well, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I hear that too, but I guess maybe his most recent project. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, went, I went from the high tier of noteworthy to like, oh, this is just the last thing that he did. I would say Aladdin <laughs> probably made the most money, but it probably didn't have the most uh, creativity to it. I don't. I mean, I, I thought it was totally fine, but it didn't really have a lot of the um, charm that Guy Ritchie movies yeah. bring. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think I, I guess, all it's a great time to mention it now. A theme that I've been tickling with with this film, <laughs> and I guess with Guy Ritchie specifically, is um, we were talking before, uh, audience, about how there are certain directors that you can tell during their films that it's, it's what their passion lies into. This is what they like to do. This is what they're going to devote their time towards. And what they would do as another project just for the paycheck, just getting mm-hmm. the job done. Someone wanted them to do it. They like their work, but it's not necessarily something that, you know, Guy Ritchie, for example, wrote the screenplay for this as well as directed it. So you know it's something that he really loved to do. And him and his uh, crime films, his British crime films like Snatch that mm-hmm. we've mentioned before. But then you have things like, you know, King Arthur, which didn't do so hot. 
um, the, the most recent King Arthur film that came out, I believe, in within the last five years or so. And then Aladdin, which you just made a mention, which is kind of like, hey, Aladdin's a great film, but, you know, they made into this live action motion picture that Disney loved that didn't really hit with the audience. And, you know, that's not of Guy Ritchie's. No, total paycheck movies. I mean, you know, if you know anything about Guy Ritchie, this and Snatch and even the Sherlock Holmes movies have his fingerprints all over them. And then Aladdin just feels, I mean, disconnected. It's kind of... When we were talking earlier, another director that, you know, we, you could compare that to who, who, you know, you can see his passion projects and you can also see his paycheck projects is Tim Burton. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Great example. You know, you can tell when he's put his heart and soul into a movie, uh, which I mean, you know, there's there's numerous ones that you can point at. But then you can also see something like. I don't know, Planet of the Apes from like 2001. And it's just like, this might've just been a paycheck movie. Like, you know. Um, <laughs> if you were going to choose one Tim Burton movie that was a, one of his bad movies, I think he just hit the nail on the head right there. Yeah. I was going through my head. I was like, Corpse Bride. Yeah, that's still Tim Burton, even though it wasn't that great of a film. And then, you know, you know, but I mean, Nightmare Before Christmas, that's his great stuff, all that animation. But then you're like, Planet of the Apes. All right. <laughs> his hand on that. You're one of the lucky ones who was able to purge it from your mind for all these years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, great point. Great point to be made. And also, didn't know if you knew this, but Sherlock Holmes is actually coming out with a third movie uh, for 2021. But Guy Ritchie this time doesn't have his hand on it. It's uh, going to be directed by a new person named Dexter Fletcher, which uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything particularly noteworthy that uh, he, he's known for. He's been in this movie. Has he? Yeah, Dexter Fletcher played Soap. I, uh, I actually oh, went down a gosh. rabbit hole right oh, before this. You're totally right. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I was just, and I was just looking at him now because yeah. you see style and everything like that he looks crazy his imdb <laughs> photo uh, he's looking a lot older in it which i mean you know obviously this movie's from 1998 so some time has passed but yeah he, yeah, uh, he's, he looks very different. he's one of those people yeah he's one of those people that's like hey he looks a little bit wiser but he definitely looks a lot older <laughs> yeah he also um he doesn't have too many uh and now we're not even talking about the movie anymore so sorry audience we'll get back on track but uh dexter <laughs> fletcher he doesn't have too many um uh, directing credits under his belt, but the ones that he does have are really good. Um, well, there's Rocket Man from uh, about two years back, that um, uh, movie with Taron Edgar uh, Ton about why can I not think of? Oh, Elton John. It's the Elton John biopic. Oh, okay. Rocketman. Okay. <laughs> I was just listening to that Edgar Ton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that? and then. Uh, he also had uh, Taron Edgerton, who's, you know, he's the guy from like um, that Kingsman movies and stuff. Really good movie right. called Eddie the Eagle, which is about a um, guy who wants to do like high, uh, like alpine jump skiing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did see that. Yeah. I, I've also heard very great reviews about that movie. Yeah. Like so, ski jumping. Uh, just like Guy Ritchie. I mean, I don't think Guy Ritchie, I mean, <laughs> I don't think I don't have his age off the top of my head right now, but I don't think he's super old. You know, he's he, we're not talking. He's like, you know, in his sixties or anything like that. But I guess comparing him to Dexter Fletcher is that they don't really have super long um, portfolios. Mm-hmm. How many? I think 
other than, you know, uh, a man called uncle, these couple of films that we've already mentioned with Guy Ritchie and like King Arthur and stuff like that. We're talking like a total of maybe 10, 10 to 15 films and his total career so far. And it, right. Like you said, lock stock and two smoking barrels, which was in 1998, which was, you just said it was his first feature like film. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was, yeah, we're talking what 20 years ago. So. Yeah, 20 years ago. I mean, and that's, you know, when he came out on the scene and he was, you know, relatively young when he made it. He was only 30. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's pretty young still at this stage in his career. Probably has a lot more movies that we'll see coming from him in the next years. But um, this movie, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, to uh, get us back on track. Uh, this was a, a debut hit and it was a big hit because on a budget of well eight eight hundred thousand pounds which translates to 1.35 <laughs> million dollars uh it had a box office return of 2.8 million or no 28.1 million dollars so big money yeah there. so everything about this movie is british from the getting the shooting there to all the actors to the soundtrack Everything is England. <laughs> like there's, I don't think until you know he comes up with Snatch two years later. There's any sort of English like influence into his. I mean, sorry, American, yeah. not English. American influence into his films. So even to the fact that he paid for the the film with pounds. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the same website you are right now with the budgetary thing, and that's yeah, that's exactly how I'm reading too that's hilarious yeah for sure <laughs> all right so before we get into any sort of plot or anything i think we need to you know take a little uh bit of time and point out some of the characters in this movie because this is a big big cast of named characters and um i mean one of the great things about this movie is that even though there's so many characters you're not getting any of them confused with each other each one of them has personality to them um and it's it's one of those movies that i like of where you're kind of following separate stories and then it all coincides towards the end um i don't know if there's like a a name for one of those movies but uh sort of the same as like i i don't know like big cast movies like uh like valentine day and stuff like that although i, I like a gangster movie more than that but <laughs> Right. I totally agree with you. Guy Ritchie's all about that. He's mm -hmm. all about just making these, well, two things. I, I was mentioning, you're, uh, you're right. I was mentioning before that he loves to make big casts and whether or not it's going to be, you know, a five second scene or if you're a main character, each one of those characters is going to have some characteristic traits about them they're gonna just not be like it's when you read the ending credits and they go through the cast you're not gonna see crony number two you're gonna see like lenny the and you'll know exactly who that which one of the you know uh bodyguards he was for whichever gangster group there is because there's quite a few in this film mm -hmm. but um I was just to agree with you. Someone else that really likes to do this is Christopher Nolan. Cause I know that for uh, Memento, his 2000 movie Memento, which he's really known for, yeah. he does that um, kind of timeline jumps, I guess. It's, 
or well, he does timeline jumps. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit confused here. But with Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie has multiple acts going on through the same timeline, and he likes to bounce between different things, even that are happening mm-hmm. maybe simultaneously or a few seconds in between each other. But it's towards the end comes to a uh, like an uh, explosive in this sense because for this movie and we'll get into the plot later but it's yeah explosive, uh conclusion where they all come together no for sure yeah i think of it sort of like a, a weave like there's a bunch of like separate lines and then they all start you know kind of crossing over with each other uh but the end of this weave is a pile of c4 <laughs> right <laughs> At the end of and this just movie. like and I'll make the comparison now. and I'll make sure to mention it later. But just like because Jason Statham, who plays the character Bacon in this film, he also plays in the other 2000 film Snatch later. And him and his crew for both of these films end up as the when the conclusion happens of the explosive intercoming of all the groups, they're left scratching their heads being like, what in the hell just happened? Like uh, everything and everything just happened and we weren't involved with it. And now we're left scratching our heads. Yeah, totally. And over their heads. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I just kind of it, guys, I'm sorry. It would be way too long. We'd be wasting your time just going through an entire list of characters and figuring out who the actors and actresses are. But essentially, at least how I have it written on my notes, there are five separate groupings of characters that make up the five different groups that, you know, each have their own storyline that come together at the end. And um, the main one that we follow stars with uh, Dexter Fletcher, like you were saying, Jason Statham, uh, Jason Fleming, and uh, all the uh, basically main protagonists of the group. And that's uh, Eddie, Tom, Soap, and Bacon are the uh, four friends who, yeah, I mean, there are, there are you know, de facto main characters, um, but they're kind of like low-time criminals. Um, you know, they're, they're not like at the big times yet or anything like that, but they're aspiring to make money. Um, so that's kind of our, our four first four group of four and mm-hmm. um you know how we're introduced to them you know they're doing some wheeling dealing side of the road kind of stuff uh but it seems like over time they've made enough money to uh where one of them um eddie is a uh, great card player and so they want to you know put the money that they've accumulated together make some more money how do you do that going up against one of the uh you know big high rollers in town who leads us to our second group and his name is hatchet harry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah he's for the most part the main antagonist now he doesn't get a super amount of face time but uh for as i'm sure you guys know about the big bosses when it comes to the gangster group they don't really need to show their face a lot to know that they're in charge you know that's what the all the cronies out there are the ones that get the face time that are out there on the front lines doing the dirty work because hatchet harry can stay behind the desk you're right yeah we don't see a whole bunch of hatchet harry but every scene that we do is pretty menacing including the one where he beats a man to death with a dildo (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah that's true that's true okay. um <laughs> honestly man like i'm thinking right now we should just 
jump right into the plot because as the plot kind of unfolds a little bit, we'll be able to kind of dissect each group of characters as they come along. Okay. Does that work with with you? Yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it. Um, You know, that way we can, we can weave in the characters as they come along. And so exactly. We mentioned Harry uh, hatchet, Harry, he's um, you know, the big, shot in town i think he made a lot of his money on pornography they call him like the porn king or something like that yeah if you've noticed in the film actually he like they, when they roll the cars through to his you know front office or whatever like that he's literally in like the porn district of England. Yeah. there's erotica stores everywhere it's and yeah it's he he basically is the like distributor he's like the ceo distributor of a bunch of sex toys and laundry and stuff like that so every time that you see him at his desk there's just like piles of dildos and like whips and things along those lines which is like super strange at the same time when you know like his back endings and his his um what what's what do um criminals have that it's like the front of their business so it doesn't look like they're doing illegal oh, things uh, front yeah like you know front, yeah so that yeah, like laundry front money is, yeah this front is a lingerie sex toy emporium yeah. <laughs> uh so whenever we mention harry the other person who's always at his side is uh his muscle and that's uh barry the baptist mm-hmm and we see a lot more of him throughout the plot and throughout the film and stuff like that. But he's Harry's right hand man, and he knows how to get the job done no matter what. And they call him Barry the Baptist is because he drowns people for Harry. So whenever he needs people, he needs to get money from some of that. You'll find some pool of water and just start drowning people. <laughs> Wonder if he ever has to bring his own pool of water if they're never near a body of water. Uh, yeah, yeah. hey <laughs> man, don't get me started. I got <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's he's got those office coolers in the back of his car that he'll just he'll pull out whenever he needs to <laughs> if you hear the sloshing it's too late <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then the last one i guess of real importance to harry's group who he hires who's the muscle is big chris yes big chris yeah that's his debt collector um you know barry barry will do the enforcing but uh chris actually you know goes out and makes sure that um Harry's getting paid, and uh, <laughs> Big Chris is accompanied by Little Chris, who's his son. Who I feel like, I mean, Big Chris is, uh, you know, obviously a uh, a good father, I think, but he is taking him out on all of his um, illegal escapades. So uh, I don't know, you know, he he doesn't want Little Chris to cuss, but at the same time, he'll like beat a man near death. <laughs> right yeah. Right, it reminds me of um, Jean Reno, you met the French actor, and Natalie Portman's film, the 1994 film, The Professional. Yeah, the, Leon the Professional. You have assassin, you know, who has to take on this little girl, and so he can't hide his career, essentially his okay, livelihood. Yeah. <laughs> child so i think that's kind of the same boat we're in here with big and little chris for big chris he's a debt collector he has to bang up people and he like with a job like that it's almost like he's more safe off with big chris doing jobs than if he left little chris alone where someone could you know if you know big chris has some you know vendettas out there yeah. they might go after his son kind of thing oh yeah plus daycare is expensive so might as well oh, just my God. bring your son to work day so many quids so many quids 
<laughs> which I'm sorry. I can I take, I'm, I'm going to take two seconds here. Cause yeah, I was, of course, do you know the difference between a pound and a quid? I don't, I kind of thought that, um, that might just be different words for the same thing. I think, I think it is too. And I, I was trying to look it up and clearly couldn't find, like a, I couldn't nail down the definition, but like they just kept interchanging quid and pound. And I was yeah. just like, I was just like, what currency are we doing? How are we working right here? We always call it dollars. It's dollars in America. We make it easy. Well, at the same time, I mean, you know, like we say, like bucks and stuff like that. I think it might be along those same lines as they're kind of interchangeable. Buckaroos, dollar yeah, buckaroonies. Well, no, that's Australia, right? They call it oh, dollars. Yes. <laughs> but okay um so yeah basically okay so jumping into the plot right now i, th- I think this is a good way since we have the at least the first two groups of characters nailed down correct yeah yeah we we have our uh our starting line up here good 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 so the first thing we're doing is that yeah you're correct eddie and the, his gang bacon soap and tom they're petty thieves at the at the best of it and they're all um, going in together, $25,000 each, to put up the minimum buy-in so that Eddie, who's this – they call him a card shark, but he's not really a card shark. What he's good is, is at reading people. Yeah. And so and, – but anyone who really knows how to gamble with cards knows that reading people is 90% of the game. So uh, he is chosen amongst his gang to go up against Harry and a bunch of other high rollers to play this card game in order to kind of make their riches. Um, So that's when we get introduced to Harry and and (laughs) Harry and Barry, Harry and Barry the Baptist. And basically Barry is informing Harry of who this kid, who this run of the mill kid is. And of course, Barry, being his right-hand man, had all the insides of who that, that small little gang was and said, hey, you know, don't worry. There are a bunch of kids and stuff like that. You'll be able to clean the clock. We'll, we'll take them to the cleaners. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get into, um, into this card game, which I had to actually do a little bit of research about because it wasn't like Texas Hold'em, which no. is an easy game for most people to know. I tried to follow in the moment, knowing a little bit, you know, about like uh, poker and stuff like that. And I could not follow it. Yeah. So just to inform the audience here, this is, they play a form of, it's, it's an ancestor to poker and a card game called Primero, which I've never played before. And I've never played this other game called, and it called a three card brag, three card brag. And basically it's a British card game that involved bluffing and basically making the most out of um, these three cards that you're dealt with. And how it works is, is that they're based off of whoever you're playing with. Cause there's so many different variations of the game is, is that you try and get three of a kinds and you're betting based off the three cards that you're dealt and three of a kinds are the best. And then it trickles down from there. So three aces, th- you know, three Kings, those mm-hmm. are the best that you can get in the hand. And it's all like, it's like playing a big game of BS where you're just doing bluffs to, or trying to play, you know, into your opponent's hand to try and make money so that they'll fold because they don't think they have cards. So very interesting. Cause I've seen this movie now three or four times and I didn't get it 
even remotely a little bit until here I am the fourth time now. And it actually took me a little t- like research to figure out how the card actually came actually plays. Okay. Well, that sounds cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm always interested in trying out some new card games, but no, I, I was trying to follow along and, you know, she, <laughs> I feel like they even had like a, you know, 30 second explanation of it, you know, as the, you know, right. it's like, all right, gentlemen, we all know the rules. <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't. <laughs> um, right. So that, yeah, you're exactly. <laughs> I, she, she did a really good job explaining it once I knew how to play it, but then after that, I, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But basically, this is a great scene because um, for the most part, Eddie's cleaning the clocks. They're cleaning up the, he's cleaning up the rest of the game. And, um, but lo and behold, Barry is secretly planted a camera in their game room mm-hmm. off to the side watching Eddie's cards from a different undisclosed location. And Harry had kind of like a, a wire tap or yeah, a, something like a, attached to his ankle that was kind of like poking him, maybe the yeah, the, a little bit of like a numbers. tapping. Yeah, maybe yeah. some code indication of what kind of cards Eddie was rolling. Right. And, and a little insight into this game, you can either pay, you can keep your cards uh, closed, which means that people don't know what your cards have, or you can put money down in order to have someone's cards face up, face open. And that indicates that they open up their three cards in an indication to like, Hey, you know, I could see your cards, but uh, you know, I'm, I put the money down for that. So, <laughs> still trying to decipher this game but lo and behold since harry was cheating the whole time they catch eddie into a trap where instead of the hundred thousand dollars that he originally bought in with he loses and owes because there was a borrowing aspect during the transaction because at this point harry is winning tries to kill eddie with one hand and manages to do so because eddie went in stupidly into like yeah. a 50,000 pound hand. And the whole premise of this point now is that they lost Eddie leaves to have to go tell his friends. And now he has to pay Harry back what he owes, which is 500,000 large by the end of the week. And mm-hmm. that is the main premise of the movie so far. Yep. And uh, yes, you're right. Yeah. Now, now he owes 500,000 pounds. Um, and uh, like we said, it's uh, Harry's sending his debt collector, Big Chris, um, after him if if the debt's not paid within a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's kind of, that's kind of our setup that the movie's wrapped around. But separate from this whole card game and everything, Harry is just a guy who he likes money, and so um, he also as as I guess had Barry hire two goons. Um, I don't know, goons, whatever. You know, they're low-time thieves or small-time thieves. Uh, Gary and Dean to steal two shotguns um, from a residence. And, uh, I mean, Barry doesn't really give them a whole bunch of explanation. He says, hey, break into this safe, take all the guns that are in there, bring them back to me. And um, anyways, I mean, you know, these, these two are kind of the comic relief of the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit like Dean and Gary, and, or and what's their uh, accomplice? Is it Nikki or something like that? What the, just call me, just call me Nathan while we're robbing these people. We both go by Nathan. 
yeah, Nathan, that's it. Nathan and Nathan. Um, yeah, so I mean, they're they're small time too, just like uh, you know our original group of four. Except I don't feel like they have like big aspirations or anything like that. Um, so, anyways, uh, you know, they they bumble around, but they do get the um, all the guns from this residence, and uh, the only thing that gets hurt is um, <laughs> one of their. Uh, Hairs gets uh, you know yeah, shot. They yeah, have like a Jerry yeah, curl kind of thing. Yeah. So basically, there's this a uh, lord of the land, you know, because everyone in England is a lord, yeah. and they own. And so, and he's going bankrupt. And so, he was going to auction off these two antique shotguns, but Harry wants to beat them to the punch. So if Harry doesn't even know who these guys are. He leaves it all the way up to Barry, and Barry was to take care of the whole situation. And these two guys, Gary and Dean, go to rob the place. And Gary, who's fixated with his hairdo, gets it <laughs> gets his two hundred quid haircut basically blown off. Yeah, from it's one just of like a perfect residents. circle chunked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank gosh it wasn't his head; it was just his hair. But yeah, one of the residents tries to shoot one of the thieves in the back, and you know misses, yeah. takes off Gary's uh, Gary's hair. But, That's the kind of comedy that you see in these like Guy Ritchie movies. I mean, it's not like you know he doesn't have to like. It's not a deep joke. It's just you know like there, there was a shotgun that went off and like a, a perfect circle is just like chunked out of Carrie's hair. I, um, right. It's like very British comedy. I feel <laughs> like hairs are singeing and everything. <laughs> so uh, I mean, these two, um, they're 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 very incompetent. Um, so you know, Barry doesn't give them a whole bunch of detail about what to sell. He says, Hey, you know, bring me the shotguns. You can sell off the rest, you know, to make some money or whatever. Yeah. Or go, but, go rob, go rob them of antiques. Cause they live yeah, in a mansion. So like, go, go steal some antiques. And, uh, exactly. anyways, they ended up selling the, uh, two antique shotguns that, uh, hatchet Harry was looking for. And the person that they sell them to is our next character, Nick, the Greek. And he's just, mm-hmm. um, his whole character, I mean, he's Greek, one, but then he's also just a, a fence in the area. Um, he just, you know, works a lot with other people who are kind of, you know, yeah, he's no good criminals. Mm-hmm. He, if he's if he's the guy that if you need something, you go to Nick the Greek to go get it. So yeah, it's very strange. I'm for kind of under. Oh, I understand why. So basically, um, Gary and Dean grab these two shotguns one of the shotguns being the one that literally almost took gary's head off and sell it to nick the greek to make some cash just mm-hmm. quick fact. and according to barry's instruction they were supposed to deliver anything that was in the gun cabinet so there was a gun cabinet in the mansion and so they try and take these two guns to nick the greek nick the greek buys us of them but then when they get to barry to show him hey these are the guns we took from the gun cabinet they don't have the shotguns. They only have what was left in there. So now Barry's enraged with Gary and Dean and telling them that they have to go get the shotguns back or there'll be consequences. Right. And so that starts Gary and Dean's uh, <laughs> story, yeah, and, yeah, so, yeah, Just trying to get back these shotguns. And I think that's, gonna, that's the best way to kind of describe this to your audience is that we have a main plot which involves eddie's gang and harry's gang about the five hundred thousand, but there's tons of subplots that are going on as well mm-hmm. and that's only one of them there's actually two more subplots that are going on otherwhere it's a lot of subplots but it does all wrap into its 
yourself pretty nicely. Um, so, so just next... tight and just listen. Just sit tight and listen. It'll all wrap up together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll feed you, baby bird. <laughs> so uh, this is subplot B. Now we're going on. That was subplot A. Now we're going on subplot B. And this, this one is marijuana growers. No, uh, no. This is with um, dog. Oh, dog. okay. We'll do dog first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's crazy how England works because it's such a small area, and we realize that Eddie and their gang live in this corner area right next to a taxi stand, and you can see it all in this one great shot that Guy Ritchie gets of classic, you know, English cobblestone, and it's looking dreary because it's just been raining, classic England stuff. But lo and behold, is that when Eddie and them roll into their neighborhood, they go home. They also have neighbors. And the neighbors are these ruthless drug dealing gangs that, you know, they're known for being loaded with cash, money, and drugs. Mm-hmm. And the funniest thing about that is that in, it, they're so close together that the closet that Eddie has with a little air vent can hear an entire conversation that's happening with the drug dealers next door. And right, so they can uh, just listen in and, um, yeah, I mean, basically, listen in on them, like, planning their next, like, big heist. Exactly, exactly. And lo and behold, they have a heist planned. It's so we have Dog, just, just to go over who the thieves are. Dog is the head honcho of this group. We have a couple of other no-name cronies, really, Paul, John, and Mick. They're mm-hmm. not super important, just another members of the crew. But the other... Um, I guess, uh, crony of dog, one. Yeah, the plank. one that stands in just plank. And so, um, at this time, we just get an introduction into dog and his gang, and plank goes to visit the uh drug dealers. There's now there's a marijuana dealers, and this is subplot C. And so, <laughs> I know, guys, trust me, it'll make sense. But subplot C is these um cannabis dealers. Uh, it's some really like soft looking guys, to be honest. They just look, they look like guys that just smoke weed all day. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want any trouble. They just want to make money. Um, but it's, it's <laughs> Willie is the main guy. And then I don't know that I ever wrote down the names of the other people. Right. So it's, I got it right here. Don't you okay. worry. Okay. Right. So um, Willie is definitely one of them. It's Willie, a, a guy named Jay, just call him Jay. And the main guy is Winston. Winston oh, does Winston, most of the time. Right. And um, basically at this point, we just kind of get an introduction to this uh, cannabis group. And Plank has a relationship with Willie and occasionally goes over to them in the game to buy weed. So he's basically just another customer to them. But lo and behold, that business has been going really, really well for Winston and his group to the point where they have mountains of shoe boxes filled with cash. And Winston is very paranoid when we first meet him to the sense that um, a part of their hideout they have this door and then the door leads to a cage with another door. So just in case, you know, no one can break through and rob the place. Yeah. Extra little security. Exactly. And he keeps having to remind over and over again to Willie and Jay and the gang that, Hey, you know, what's the point of us having this uh, cage lock and you got to never lock it. So 
Um, all we know from the first introduction is that they are cannabis dealers. They have loads of cash and Winston is doing everything in his power to get rid of the cash because he wants to give it to whoever his, I guess, you know, higher up is, or maybe mm-hmm. hide it. We're not too sure, but plank, um, takes this information back to dog and the gang and informs them of the fact that they, there are these non-threatening high all the time like <laughs> yeah they're not gonna put up they're any sort of fight <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's ripe for the picking over at this this guy's house they never lock the gate because winston has to keep reminding them and they'd have loads of cash with barely any guns stuff like that so dog of course super interested wants to get a hold of this and set up a crew to the but at the same time and the important thing that i mentioned before is that eddie is back home right next door to dog and the gang and he has his uh, closet open and overhears his entire plan of going to rob these guys that have almost you know like a million pounds worth of drug money Mm -hmm. yeah so now there is this intertwining between dogs gangs going to rob winston and the drug dealers but at the same time um eddie and their gang now come up with the idea once dog does all the dirty work to get it from the drug dealers why don't we go and rob dog and his gang yep absolutely so our subplots are starting to kind of lay over on each other Um, exactly and the last before you before you go the last thing i just wanted to mention was the fact that at this point tom goes to nick the greek to buy the shotguns that dean and carrie got them and (laughs) it's a funny interaction because those shotguns are old as time they're like muskets (laughs) and he's selling them for tom for like you know i think it was like 700 pounds what they're actually worth not even an actual yeah, right. they're, they're supposed to be antiques. They're not supposed to actually be used for like firing. So yeah, he, he gets them. <laughs> They'd be better off firing dust at the end. <laughs> it would just fire out a cloud of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. Um, so here we have uh, Dog Plank and their group. Um, they get uh, prepared. Uh, you know, morning of go over and rob uh, Winston, Willie, and the rest of the drug dealers. So at that Mm -hmm. same time, um, our main group of four with uh, Eddie, Tom, Bacon, Soap, they're also preparing to go and just be back at this, um, the, the flat next door where Dog is when they come back so they can basically rob the robbers. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, when, when Dog and Plank get over there, I mean, uh, things seem to have <laughs> kind of changed from what uh, Plank was expecting. Um, you know, they get there. Uh, he calls up to them on the phone, says, hey, you know, it's Plank. Let me up. Um, and uh, anyways, it seems like Winston's um, words of actually – started to settle in because this is like the one time that the cage is actually locked when they get yeah. in there. This is the, this is the day also at the same time that Winston is a gang. They're, they're literally counting up the money 
because they're they're trying to move they're they're trying to move the money away from where the product is so that they can you know put put it away to their supplier or you know put it in a bank or what have you but they're trying to get it also out so they're they're at like threat level midnight right now taking right. things all serious all precautions must be taken extra security so, yeah mm-hmm. and so um yeah i mean you know they they initially say hey you know plank you can't come in today is not the day for it but i think you know one of the guys i don't know if he's <laughs> named or not was like hey we could use the money like you know just let him in it's just plank basically not knowing that uh he's armed and has um you know all of his other his cronies, cronies all high. yeah yeah so uh that ends up being a bad idea because um the uh the cage is locked when all of them get down there but um the uh one person who came down to let plank in uh they go ahead and knock him out um and so he actually he just actually passes out oh he pa- oh that's right he passes out against yeah. the bars so, yeah literally he goes down there starts getting like a little threatened by plank and he just faints <laughs> i forgot how how he, he passes out but yeah that's uh <laughs> that's true but um, this whole thing to the most shit show like a stretch of robbery ever first they can't get through the front door and oh, then the yeah. guy that faints no, and all going the- right they yeah, do exactly. end up getting the key um, off of the guy who passed out. But at that same time, all the, uh, I guess, commotion of what's going on downstairs and the yelling, it leads the other three drug dealers to kind of look around um, at the top of the stairs and see what's going on. And uh, <laughs> anyways, they're just armed with like a BB gun. So they're just taking like pot shots. <laughs> they're just kind of like hitting, uh, hitting Plank in the neck and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. He shoots Plank in the neck. He's like, oh, I got shot. We'll shoot back. He's got like a sawed off shotgun. Yeah, He's just off firing, firing at the stairwell where he can't see them at all or something like that. But, and then you got just like, I don't even know who it One is. Jay Oh, I know. Yeah. One of uh, dogs, they come in with shotguns and one comes with this Bren automatic, like trench gun. It's crazy. Exactly. And all the while, I mean, they're just stuck here in this cage until dog takes a hold of the situation and basically threatens, uh, I believe Jay, Jay, the man who fainted on the floor blows off his foot basically and threatens, hey, you know, if you don't come down here, the rest of his leg and then the rest of his body is going to get blown to smithereens. And so not wanting to see their friend die, it's Winston and Willie who, I mean, sorry, excuse me, Winston and Charles. There's okay. Jay on the ground. Winston, Charles come down from the stairwell while Winston informs Willie, hey, they don't know you're here. They only know about the three of us. Why don't you go upstairs, do something with the cash, do something with the, the weed. You, you know, you got to do something. And so they go downstairs to let dog and the group in. And basically, you know, they, that's the, that's when things, I guess, go right for dog and his game. They start actually finally going upstairs. They can see like, Oh, there's the weed. Where's the money? Blah, blah, blah. And it's actually get the robbing to commence and make it to the front door. Yeah, and uh, it's at this point. Um, I mean, Willie, he he's only <laughs> like hiding behind a wall. He didn't do too much with the time that they gave him. But I guess what is there to do? Um, mm-hmm. 
he has what, like a golf club or something like that. I think he tries to get like a, uh, what does he have? A hatchet. Oh, okay. I thought it was something a lot more blunt than that. Um, no, no, he has some, he has a hatchet. So in this scene, guys, just so we, I want to paint the picture correctly, there's Winston, Jay's on the floor, still unconscious, even though he just got his foot blown off. Dog and the entire gang are up on the second floor, and Winston, Charles, and Willie are up there. Willie's hidden, hiding away with a hatchet, and Will and Charles are getting bound to the ground. All and and actually, this one is a great scene. There's a girl that hangs out with group. <laughs> that was funny. I liked how that wrapped and back around. <laughs> we only seen Gloria one other time in in the uh, film so far, and from all we know, she's just basically this silent character, and. She, Willie carries her in the front door in the first scene, she, and she's just bombed out of her mind. Marijuana <laughs> or other drugs, whatever. She can hardly even speak. And she, they go upstairs. First off, one of the cronies um, holding, I believe it's the crony that holds the huge machine gun, goes into the next room where to try and see where the cash is. And Willie sneaks up and gives him a chop on the arm. Hurts him real bad, but at the same time, though, gets basically wasted away yeah, he by the machine gun so he he just yeah blows willy away exactly so he uh but in the in the process he can't carry this huge 50 pound machine gun anymore and it drops to the ground and so he didn't lose his arm but he's bleeding real badly willie's hurt winston and charles are on the ground bound and dog goes over there with a knife to finish the job essentially but before he can finish the job on Willie notices just this mound of cash that's on the table. Just, I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds and all the while this distraction happens of the money and, you know, the chopping and the blood and everything like that. Gloria is blended in to the couch and the yeah, scenery she's wearing a of, pattern that's very similar to the couch. Yeah. <laughs> and from the scene earlier, we see her sitting on the couch when they finally drag her in from, you know, being drugged and or drugged out. I mean, and uh, she just, you're right. Her clothes just blend so perfectly with this like red, gross looking couch that a bunch of stoners sit on on a regular basis <laughs> and dog and his gang, just do not notice that she's there at all. She has, she's silent as a mouse, even though she might be drugged up again, she's fully aware that they're getting robbed. And while they're all paying attention to cash, she stands up and grabs this ginormous machine gun off the ground and just points it at the crony that Willie got a chop on his arm with and just blasts him away. Yeah, and she we does also blast him away. She's not too effective with the other ones, though. <laughs> no, just kind of isn't. like a slow motion scene of them like diving behind couches and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's this. It's that classic. Okay, no, don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen. I have never held a machine gun of that caliber before. I, I've barely, I've barely held like a pistol at the firing range, so I don't know very much about guns, but. At the same time, though, in movies, whoever's holding the machine gun and they don't have, like, a lot of experience with guns, you know, like that character just like like Gloria here just happens to pick up the gun to defend herself. They just they just unload the barrel into walls. Yeah. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's crazy holding that kind of power, but it seems like all of the time they're just, like, pointing in one direction and just, like, wasting the entire clip of ammo not aiming at it. I would think that the recoil on something like that alone would just be like, just crazy. Um, yeah, your body would 
know, your finger would probably just be like automatically like on fire mode. Like it's like all your muscles are clenching up at one time kind of thing. But um, this also scene shows a great, um, a great noteworthy filming technique that Guy Ritchie loves to do, which is slowing down the scenes to uh, a very slow motion pace. He does it with Sherlock Holmes during the fight scenes when Sherlock Holmes kind of is dissecting, how am I going to fight this person and hit all of his weak points? And he does it with all of his other um, English films, but he just loves to take time to show um, very um, fast-paced scenes, but in a slow-motion sense. So obviously we have Gloria here just wasting Mm -hmm. away a living room with a a brand machine gun, but at the same time, though, um, dog and plank dive behind furniture for safety and it, it's all in slow motion and you can see the bullet cartridges falling to the ground and everything like that and uh it's really very enjoyable to watch now michael i want to correct you on something real fast you said oh, uh, no. guy Ritchie only uses slow-mo in all of his british movies uh aladdin there was slow-mo in there and that's uh when i think it's Apu, the monkey, he uh, needs to grab the uh, lantern uh, as it's falling. Uh, he does that in slow motion. I'll have you know. So anyways, that was just a little <laughs> aside. I, I didn't want to wait for uh, pause the podcast or anything, but I just knew listeners were going to be screaming at their phones. So <laughs> hey, no, 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 I saw this. <laughs> you know what? If, if we can't hold ourselves accountable, then who will? Um, mm. <laughs> all right. So that, uh, yes. So <laughs> dog and, uh, his group, um, with everybody other than the, the person who that brought in the Bryn gun, um, they are able to, uh, make it out with a shit ton of pounds and a shit ton of weed. Um, and also, I mean, they do add a traffic warden to their group, uh, because, um, the traffic warden comes up and tries to give their van a ticket as they're loading up the van with, uh, money and weed. And so basically just gets knocked out and thrown in the van along with the trash bags of money. Yeah. I mean, you really do at that point, are you going to take a ticket and have your car impounded or are you just going (laughs) to man i yeah, it was just um it, it's one of those other things that's just like played for comedy in the movie but just in such a um kind of dry <laughs> way so yeah very, they just knock him out and throw him in the back <laughs> very, yeah very english in my opinion just because the copper looks he's got the the domed helmet he looks like a they call him traffic warden he's not like a you know they call him a causer as in a copper i don't know but yeah um it's also that British humor of like um, the one punch knockout kind of thing. Like, ah, oh, yes. he, he here's a punch, and then you're not you're knocked out for thirty minutes. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, I know what you mean. It's um, yeah, there's no uh, slap happy kind of comedy, I guess, a little bit. I, maybe maybe not, but uh, I get that too. Yeah, I mean, just like one bonk on the head, and and he's he's done uh, for thirty minutes. Exactly. But. Um, yeah, so I mean, they're they're all on uh, you know, cloud nine, thinking that they got away with it when they get back to their flat. And um, as seen before this, we see that um, three of our uh, main characters um, are now inside of Dog's flat. Um, 
you know, waiting for them to yeah, come back. Waiting for them to come back. Uh, they do have black ski masks on, just you know, so that they don't want to be identified. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is uh, waiting outside in a car, um, and he's communicating to the ones inside through walkie-talkie or phone or whatever it was back then. Uh, probably walkie-talkie <laughs> in 1998. I don't think cell phones were too prevalent. <laughs> I believe actually it was a, it was a Morse code ticker. <laughs> Maybe just a, uh, exactly. But you're, yeah, you're totally right. So basically Eddie and the gang are waiting, waiting for uh, dog and the gang to come back so they can do what they're told. And uh, I guess what's important here guys is that even though they are neighbors, there's no correlation to them at all. Yeah. They, they don't you know, know each other really. Is they don't know their names. It's uh, and even if they come in there, they do, are wearing ski masks. They are, you know, you're you're scared at the moment. I'm sure you're the adrenaline's pumping when you're getting robbed and stuff like that. But there's no real indication that they know that dog that dog games a know that they were getting listened to about their plan or b whoever they came that robbed them. And so uh, they have the old fashioned like Jason Statham's holding his old fashioned, you know, antique. Um, uh, shotgun, but I believe earlier it was Soap who made the point that um, they should use these big knives just because you know guns might get the job done, but knives are the, the scare tactic. That's yeah. to make there's no fight back. There's no you can't make noises with knives. You know that's that the, the, the silent killer, and I think that it was the uh, cr- the creme de creme, the icing on the cake to make sure that this plan went off without a hitch. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, honestly, it, it goes pretty well for them. Um, dog and the group come in, uh, you know, our main group is hidden, but, um, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, when they're all kind of getting settled in, um, yeah, they one get of them, jumped. Yeah. They, they get jumped. Um, you know, they never have to fire off a shot or anything like that uh one of them does take mm-hmm. you know like the butt of one of the shotguns to the face i think it's i think it's maybe plank that gets knocked out but right but at down. the end of the day they get hog tied mouth taped weed and, and money gets into the van actually i'm sorry they um steal the van yes yeah, they the had van. That dog usually had and tom being the driver had a separate van and all they did was just exchange van they both took both fans away exchanged them and then just left the other one there for wh- whoever who yeah cares. dog does make but, a threat to them um <laughs> as yeah, exactly. they're getting uh you know robbed and he's saying you know hey you really think you're gonna get away with this you're like i I don't know who you are right now, but like I, I am going to find you, and I'm going yeah, to yeah. Throws him like, a little <laughs> wink. Throws throws him a little wink. Says I'm going to find you. Don't worry, I'll find yeah. you. Yeah, so pretty uh, threatening. Um, yeah. But- the last thing that happens in the scene that's noteworthy and it does tie into the plot, so that's why I'm mentioning it. But they're driving away, and Jason Statham's bacon's in the back, saying, "We got a whole lot of money. We got a hell of amount of weed." And we also have a traffic warden and they're like, knock him out, knock out the traffic warden. Cause he's still in the days. He just gotten beaten up twice now from plank and the driver from dogs group. And it's just another comedy act from Guy Ritchie was just the fact that like, Hey, you want to knock him out? You knock him out. I can't knock him out. No, and then Eddie's just like, 
I fucking hate traffic wardens. And all three oh, of them hop into back. the back and just beating the crap out of this traffic warden. <laughs> yeah, and that's the last we see of the traffic warden. I mean, he's not a character in the movie, but yeah, it was just, uh, just played up for like, I guess the, the comedy of this guy just getting like brutalized. Yeah. No matter what, he was just trying to do his job. And next thing you know, he gets knocked out basically on three separate occasions within the past like half hour of <laughs> All right. So it's at this point um, uh, we find out. So they actually, yeah, you're right. You're right. They, they make um, kind of a uh, trade off from uh, one van to their own personal vehicle. Mm-hmm. And then they say, Hey, uh, let's just bring all this stuff right back to Eddie's flat. Like it's right next door is the last place that they're ever going to expect. Exactly. I mean, at the yeah, at the end of the day, though, there's like I said, no correlation between them. Just you know, the last exactly, you said it best. Who was going to think that the people that had to rob them are two doors down from them between a taxi vendor, right? And uh, they know what to do with the money. The money's got to go back to Harry. It's going to save their skins because they only had a week in order to get the money. But they also have now a ton of weed, mm-hmm. and so. Um, just like they went to go get the guns, they think who better to go talk to than Nick the Greek to try and find out who they can unload this weed off of. Yep. And so Nick the Greek, and this is where we come up with subplot C. <laughs> and this is our, our last person that we're introduced to. But um, Oh, yeah. You, yeah, guys, sorry. This is the last gang. Don't worry. But just in case you're running out of uh, notepad paper. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nick goes to the big drug dealer of the gang uh, of of town, excuse me, and it's um, a black gentleman known as Roy Breaker. Yep. And Roy Breaker is um, he's this Afro skinny looking guy, but um, from what is told around town, he is ruthless. Mm-hmm. He plays as a facade as like a local chap that everyone can like, but at the end of the day. When he means business, he's going to take and get anything he wants by any means necessary. Yeah. As an example, we see him set a guy on fire in the um, tiki bar. Uh, just for changing the channel. Yeah, just for changing the channel. TV. Exactly. Yeah. You're totally <laughs> right. And I, I want to make a mention now because we get told this story uh, to Tom from the, uh, I believe it was the bartender who was working that night when Rory was there. And English language, and it's a reason why I love watching these films so much, is that British slang is thrown a lot throughout the film. And uh, it's very interesting to kind of just decipher what people are saying through their words. So during this whole scene of the bartender telling Tom about the whole story of Rory setting this guy on fire. He basically spits this like this really, really high alcohol contact drink in his face and then lights a match and throws it right into his chest. But all during the time, he's just talking in all of this, this British, you know, if I didn't know better and they had subtitles, I would make it, it would sound gobbledygook to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, meaningless, but you're right. I mean, it was funny. They do have captions down below <laughs> to kind of like um, decipher what's being said. Right. But and all throughout the film, uh, Guy Ritchie does a great job with having different characters talk in this British slang. You know, Big Chris does it, but a couple of notable 
lines that I want to mention uh, is comes from Rory Breaker. And so there's, it's the use of uh, synonyms and rhymes or sound alikes to say what a person's actually meaning. So there's this one line where he says, you know, you, you got this expression on your face, like what's going on here on that look on your Chevy chase, Chevy chase meaning face, because it sounds a lot like that. And then he also calls, uh, Miss, he calls Miss Nick, the Greek, Mr. Greek one time, but instead of calling him Mr. Greek he calls him Mr. Bubble and squeak. So it's things like that, that I find the British slang very humorous and very um, original, you know, in a sense of using sound alikes to actually say what you're really meaning. So, yeah, I know I jumped in the plot right there, but uh, it was a very uh, important thing to say. Let's just say that. No, no, definitely. But I mean, yeah, it's, that's a good point. And it's, it is during that scene of when Nick, the Greek is, meeting up with Rory that unbeknownst to Nick, the Greek, he's trying to sell Rory his own weed because it turns out that, uh, you know, again, crossover between all of our characters, uh, the people that dog and plank were stealing from originally um, Winston, Willie J they were actually working under Rory. Um, yeah so this whole time that they were trying to get the money away it was to pay uh it was uh, right it was to pay uh rory i believe right well i think maybe rory was just like bankrolling them oh no you're totally right yeah so the weed the weed was rory's weed that you know they all had and the money was based off of you know it was profit between i guess rory and winston right yeah and so um yeah, I mean, you know, I think Rory during that initial meeting with Nick acts cool just to get some details. But then, you know, afterwards we find out like, oh. hey, you know, like, I, is it coincidence that <laughs> I just got robbed of all this weed and all of a sudden somebody's popped up in town trying to offload a ton? Um, you're you're almost right. It's it's. um originally Rory was going to buy the weed from Nick the Greek because, you know, Nick came up there and told him, Hey, I got these guys that are trying to off some weed. And then he gives them a price and says, Hey, you'll, we'll do it. But it's only until Winston has to go back to Rory. Cause where he has to tell Rory that our weed just got stolen, that he starts piecing the connections that oh, now so he's yeah. got this idiot, Nick, the Greek, who's trying to sell Rory back his own weed. Mm-hmm. That's when Nick uh, Rory has Nick come back to his place and say, you know, like who, you know, who are you to try and sell me my own weed? The only reason that you're still alive right now is the fact that you actually, you know, came here because you must have not known that the weed that you're trying to off to me was my own weed to begin with. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) basically you're, you're so stupid. Like it saved you. (laughs) Exactly. So now Nick is forced to turn over. Basically he's got a um, tattle on Eddie and his gang uh, about the weed because otherwise Rory's going to kill Nick. So now we have Rory, who is going to try and set up a team to go take out Eddie, get his weed back and all that stuff. We also have Doc, who's uh, out trying to look for them. 
And all unbeknownst to Eddie and Bacon and them, they think they just got away with the heist of the century. They all they go off and get drunk at the parlor. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a very cool scene. Um, sort of, you know, they it, the way that Guy Ritchie does a lot of good work with slow motion. He also seems like he knows what he's doing when it comes to fast motion. And that was kind of exemplified in this bar scene as our main four characters are celebrating. There was like, um, you know, like fast motion, but in a way that like, I feel like he's it's like, like fast to normal motion. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's like fast. It's like, Hey man, like we're taking these shots really, really fast. But then, you know, you see Eddie playing the piano like normally, and then it's yeah. like fast and slow. It's, it's, it's kind of like the show the, like um, the different notable moments of the night between them getting drunk, mm-hmm. like, Oh, here with, here's us taking these, huge pulls out of the out of the bottle and then you know then it starts slowing down you can see how drunk yeah. they're actually getting and all that kind of stuff which is again excellent note because he really knows how to not just shoot an angle correctly but he knows about how to in editing how to time it like the the how to really set up a scene through uh the speed the scene mm-hmm. is shot at. So really, yeah, really great point there. Um, all right. So here's where all of our characters are. It's it's uh, our main four characters, Eddie, Tom, Soap, Bacon. They don't know that anything's wrong. You know, they're celebrating at uh, Eddie's dad's bar. Who uh, mm-hmm. you want to tell the audience who Eddie's dad is played by? Oh, yeah. OK, so um, two two notes right here. Uh, the first one being that Eddie has a dad who runs a bar. And his name's JD. And um, he plays kind of a small role throughout the film, not really having too much mention. Only the fact that one of Harry Hatchett's cronies goes and threatens him to take away his bar because at that point in the film, you know, they were still owing that $500,000. And um, and then a couple of other notions of that. But this JD is played by Sting, the <laughs> musical singer Sting, which is crazy because, I, you know, um, you you mentioned earlier um, to me before the film that yeah, back in the early '90s, Police was just getting big, and Sting was just going to start doing his solo stuff here soon. So he got a mention, uh, a note of mention here in this film with Guy Ritchie, which is awesome because yeah. I I it's love cool. Sting. I think Sting is a great singer. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I like the Police, and like I I mean, it's just weird casting because I mean, the Police were definitely a a, a like very big name by. 1998 like i think yeah like you were saying they probably had even like started to break up and sting was trying to do a solo career and so like i mean i don't know if guy Ritchie maybe had like some strings to pull or something at that time if this was his first feature movie or how Mm -hmm. how he got sting (laughs) to be the dad in it even though it's kind of a small part but um just funny casting um yeah yeah just you know that 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 just fun fact kind of thing that you get with these films and um the second thing i wanted to mention was that there's a narrator that plays throughout the film and he's also the side bartender for jd sting at the the eddie's father's pub and uh it's alan ford who um just like with other directors we've mentioned in other episodes guys is that we have a lot of directors that like to utilize the same actors or actresses in different films just because they build a repertoire, they know how to work with them, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so Alan Ford here in the later movie Snatch in 2000 plays the main antagonist, Brickhouse, who is an 
excellent actor, but um, in this film, he just plays as a narrator and a much smaller uh, sidebar type, type of uh, act. Yeah. But again, just wanted to make mention of that. Um, just to pick up where Matt was leading off. Yeah, we got Eddie's gang. They just got around with the biggest heist of their life. They are celebrating. You have Rory, who uh, was told by Nick the Greek that it was Eddie and their gang that stole the weed. And that's now that he's about to go get his vendetta. Right. And at a sm- other small scene is uh, Dog. It's a two-minute scene. He is yelling and screaming at his henchmen because they can't find out who robbed their uh, their uh, stash when they just did their bust. And he throws Plank headfirst into a wall, but the wall is made out of, you know... It's really thin. <laughs> very, very thin. His head goes right through it, and he just comes across Eddie's loft. This recording equipment that they had equipment that's been listening to them the entire time so now even dog knows that that was eddie's gang that robbed them so he now there's something two. really funny before he throws plank's head through um <laughs> he, he well he, he was like he's, he's berating all of uh his goons just like that i mean they can't find out they i guess had asked around town and I guess, you know, our main four characters must be like low level enough that, you know, they're not really like causing a big blip or anything like that. And um, he's like, you idiots wouldn't know if it was the next door neighbors or something like, <laughs> like you know, oh, it should be the next door neighbors and you idiots wouldn't even know. And then he throws Plank's head through the wall. And sure enough, it's just like one of those, like, uh, yeah, again, like British humor. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> very Dry, physical. But like, yeah, exactly. Very physical. Well said. Um, uh, all right. Yeah, so now totally Dog knows and uh, they they go over to that flat preparing for them to come back and they're going to go ahead and jump them. So mm-hmm. they, okay. yeah, they first, first they find the cash and they're like, well, let's just take it back. And he said, no dog, dog is the ruthless type of character that wants to make sure that they end up, you know, consequence consequences for your, uh, you know, misdoings. Right. Kind of thing. And just to bring <laughs> our other characters into the fold and see where they are right now. So, um, Hatchet Harry and Barry the Baptist, no change. They just, uh, you know, Hatchet still wants his money from our group of four and his antique shotguns. And that causes uh, Gary and Dean to call back Nick the Greek, offer to buy back the shotguns from them. And here's where we see Nick the Greek packing to jump town after his meeting with Rory. Because mm-hmm. you know he he doesn't want any trouble. Like you know he's just yeah against, he yeah he just had the know. scare of his life. I'm out of here forever, kind of thing. I'm leaving town, and yeah, that's when we know that. So Dean and Gary, excellent excellent uh, bring up right here is the fact that they try to buy back the guns, and then they call back Barry to be like, hey, he's not he doesn't have the guns anymore. He gave it to um, th- these other guys, uh, Eddie. Eddie and Tom, who actually have the guns now. And that's when Harry the Hatchet picks up the phone off of Barry and says, you got to get her, you're going to die. And that's when Dean and Gary realize how much of a serious situation they're in because Harry will go and kill them. Right. So that's what Dean and Gary are up to. And all the while, Rory has kidnapped Winston and to make sure that he points out who are the people who that stole from him. So Plank and the gang. 
and Rory's now going to, you know, act his revenge for the people who just try to con him out of his weed. That's a funny scene too, where they're all piling into the back of the van, and uh, Rory's giving all of his men kind of like a pep talk <laughs> right before they <laughs> yeah, exactly. go in, guns blazing, and uh, and he's, course- looking, he's pulling off like a very like <laughs> okay, I don't know if this is like wrong to say or some of that but like he's got like the two silver pistols in his belt hip yeah. like he's pulling off some like black panther like pow 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 you know like fight the power very 60s look that rory's pulling off right now with his afro and his, his stash and everything like that so uh yeah i would say that the two pistols are more uh form over function there's not gonna you know do a whole bunch when all the rest of his guys have like sawed off shotguns and things like oh that. my god shotguns and everything like that yeah. it's crazy yeah they're equipped so, yeah so um basically now um there's a couple yeah so rory's got that going on dog and his gang are now in eddie's house and they're hiding, waiting for Eddie to come back and his crew to get killed. Eddie and them are waking up from the bar, basically hung over from the night before. And they're driving back to their house, unbeknownst to what's happening to them. And Dean and Gary, there's actually two, Dean and Gary and Big Chris comes into this, the um, debt collector for Harry. He, Dean and Gary are waiting to try and find uh the guns and big Chris is also uh, coming into the scene. Cause Harry has him out looking to go get after Eddie. Cause that's what Nick the Greek told them right about where the guns were. Yeah. So, so there's really all getting some crossover. Uh, now. Yeah. There's all these things are happening right now. And, uh, yeah, Guy does really- peanut butter now. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's getting crazy. So basically crazy. the first thing that happens, of course, is that, um, Plank and his gang are waiting inside. The second thing that happens is Rory pulls in with his big van full of cronies ready to shoot up the place. And Winston points out that he sees one of um, the people that robbed him, uh, Plank, I believe it is, going into the house. And so now that's Rory's cue to get things started. And basically, Rory bursts in through the door with his entire cronies and Plank and his men could not be more confused of these this group of black ginormous men jumping in this house fully armed and equipped with guns. And they're just hiding, not knowing what to do because they obviously don't know what the hell is going on. Even Plank says, like, like what the hell is going on? Yeah. <laughs> but before anyone's going to come in out of hiding to try with guns, you know, trying to figure out what the situation is going, Plank just starts the shootout with shooting his shotgun and then a whole shootout goes on in the, the loft of Eddie and his gang. Yes. Yeah, so we have a big shootout. Um, so dog is not in uh, Eddie's flat at the time. He's in, he's on the second, he's in the second. Store. No, he's no, right. he's in their flat, oh, he's but he's on the, on the second, second store, store okay. and he's counting the cash. Right. And so, yeah, he doesn't, he, he's, hears this gun go off and you know all the shooting and everything like that he takes a peek out the side of the door to see what's going on uh some blood splats on his face yep that's right yeah he tries to escape through there's a back door entrance he all he has is the cash and that throws the cash out takes the two shotguns that he has with them jumps out the door 
and he jumps right in front of Big Chris. <laughs> Bad timing. <laughs> yeah, terrible timing. And Big Chris grabs the shotguns, gives him a headbutt, and knocks out a dog for a moment. Oh, and God, dude. Ha- I feel like the headbutt is something that you see in a lot of these English like crime movies, too. And it just, mm-hmm. man, headbutts have always just seemed like the most, like, just, yeah, I'm going to hurt myself, but I'm going to hurt you more, you know, like, just, uh... yeah, but this, hurt me, but this is definitely going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty visceral. <laughs> it's like a T-Rex in a sense that like a T-Rex can't do anything with his arm, but he has like a boulder for a head. I think <laughs> it's much, much smaller sense, like a much, much, much smaller sense. Humans kind of are like that too. Like your head is an eight pound, like bowling ball and if you whack it at someone's face ah that'll knock me out yeah i mean as long as you're the one with momentum i guess then like exactly the other guys exactly gonna drop (laughs) so here we are we see big chris walking away with the guns and the cash into his car and all the while dean and gary are in another car noticing big chris taking away the guns now have it guys the only correlation to dean with dean gary and harry and Barry is Barry. <laughs> it's Barry the and Barry the Baptist. Just just because it's Harry and Barry. <laughs> well, yeah, Dean and Gary and Harry and Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really good names right now going on. But basically, Dean and Gary just see this guy walking away with the guns and they're like, Hey, we gotta go get the guns. And Gary's like, No, you go get the guns. It's very like back and forth, but then Dean puts his foot down and says, If we don't get those guns, Hatchet Harry's gonna kill us. And that's when they start tailing Big Chris and Little Chris, who are driving off away. So there's shoot shootout just happened. Dog is on the ground, unconscious for a second, and Big Chris is getting now chased by Dean and Gary. Right. And all the while, Dog gets back up. He gets into a uh, uh, local's car. He actually gets. He actually gets. He tries to stop a car in traffic and gets run over. And so Dog is having a really fucking bad day. Did not work for Dog on the first try, but second try, a little better. Exactly, exactly. And then all of this happens while um, Eddie and them roll in. And at this point, everyone in the room is dead, including Rory and all of the gang. Winston is the only one that actually survives. And all he does is he takes the weed that he had and drives off with the van that Rory and his gang came up with. And so now Eddie and his gang, like I was mentioning before, which is a classic Guy Ritchie move in his British films, is just they're staring into what was once their loft, which is now this huge crime scene filled with corpses and the money and the shotguns are gone. Yes. Yeah. I think they even say something along the lines of our (laughs) money and weed has been replaced by corpses. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So now they're they got to be freaking out. I mean, that is just I mean, they managed to get away with it one time, but now they are in trouble. And the worst thing about it is that the money that they had that they were going to pay off Harry is now gone. Right. And it's at this point that they see Dog drive away. That's how they know how to tail him, right? No, no, no. So they didn't even know that Dog (laughs) and them took it again. They didn't even know the dog and that took it again because dog remember it took the civilian's car and went to go tail Dean and Gary who was tailing right. big Chris. So there's a lot going on right here. But all we know is, is that Eddie and bacon and them they showed up way too late to the scene be- before the cops, but they just know that shit just went down. And the only thing they can think of right now is, is that 
they understood at least they knew that the money was going to Harry. So they want to give Harry a call. And so, you know, whether or not they Harry cares oh, about yeah. their livelihood, you know, what happens to them as people, they don't know that yet, but I'm sure Harry would be very concerned to know that they did have his money at one point, but it just got robbed. They don't know by who. Okay. That's right. And I was so, trying to think about how they got back to knowing that Harry had the money now. Right. I so yeah, they, they, <laughs> there's a lot of they, parts and pieces. Yeah, there's a, exactly. Exactly. I'm doing my best here guys. So cut me some slack if I'm trailing a little bit, but okay. so let's do a little character the, catch up. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, Big Chris now on his way to Harry's because he's just, you know, hired muscle. He's bringing back the shotguns that he knows Harry wants as well as this money. Uh, mm-hmm. Dean and Gary, they are following Big Chris. Big Chris. And they uh, are... Don't know who Big Chris is, but they just know he has the shotguns well, and that's what Harry wants. Yeah, and not only do... Yeah, so they don't know who Big Chris is, but they also don't know that he's taking them to Harry. So, like, they could have just been out of this whole scenario. You know, yeah, Harry probably still would have been mad at them, but at least he would have had his shotguns. But I think yeah. they're like, hey, I don't know who he just brought these shotguns to, but it can't be any worse than Hatchet Harry. And so mm-hmm. just, <laughs> I don't know. It was really, uh, really funny how like, you know, like in- incompetent that uh, yeah. is. And, and also, and now we know that the only one that survived from Doug's gang, a dog's gang is dog. And all of Rory's gang is dead, including Rory. Yeah. So fuck up that happened right there. But before we see Eddie and them make the phone call, we get cut to a scene of big Chris now, going into Harry's office and delivering the money and the shotguns. Right. So first he delivers the money and then big Chris doesn't understand that the shotguns have worth. So he was just like, Hey, you know, I thought you might be interested in these things. They look like, you know, something that you might like and unbeknownst Harry gives kind of like a flash of surprise, but he doesn't say anything to big Chris. He was just like, yeah, I, I do like these. Thank you for bringing them. And so Barry and Harry are in the same room. Chris did a great job to deliver the goods and Chris gets his payment and then walks out the door. Right. And when he, when the Dean and Gary waiting outside, see big Chris leave the establishment, they realize, Hey, that's where the guns are. So they just pull up their bootstraps scared like little kittens. Cause all they are like, they're just like car thieves, you know. They rob things. Yeah, they're, they're, they're way over their like, heads at this point. This. Like that's, <laughs> they're getting way in over their heads. But they go in there, and and the craziest thing is that they're sketched out so bad. They're just like looking down the street, making sure that no one's following them. And they go into the front door, and plastered on the front door is a like note is the um the name of the establishment that says it's, it's, it's like Harry's place. It belongs yeah. to Harry. <laughs> they and, they read the sign. <laughs> and so they go, uh, the only one that has guns right there is Dean and Dean has these two pistols and trying to make a big scene and to be the big man. He bursts in through the front door of Harry's office. But at the same time, Harry is getting on the phone with, um, just no sorry just finished up the phone call Mm -hmm. with eddie and the gang telling hey we found i have your five hundred thousand dollars but you had these shotguns we need to talk about them get your ass here now so whether or not whether or not eddie and them are going to survive or not who knows but at least they know the five hundred dollars was 
Eddie's possession and Big Chris delivered it to Harry. So maybe they won't get killed. Maybe they'll just get a stern talking to, but they now we know the reason why Eddie and his gang went to Harry's. They're going to Harry's place. Right. And right after that, he's cleaning and loading the new shotguns he just got obtained. Dean busts through the door with two pistols and realizes, oh crap, Harry's holding the shotgun. Yes. And this is another one of Guy Ritchie's uh, famous character uh, camera moves because with the like standoff they have and the immediate action, it goes into that fast-paced slow motion of something that's supposed to be taking place instantaneously, like within a couple of seconds. And they just uh, – Harry – unloads the shotgun into Dean. Dean right. gets blasted Blast away. Dean back into the wall behind him. Um, mm-hmm. Harry doesn't know that there's somebody there with Dean and it's uh, Gary. Gary. Gary grabs he- up the pistols and then takes out Harry. Yeah, like unloads all the clips yeah. into him. <laughs> and <laughs> and all... Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. You say it. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it just, I mean, you know, this scene is just like, uh, I mean, just everybody not knowing their surroundings, basically, because yeah. as <laughs> uh, Gary is killing Harry and walks, you know, towards him, he gets a hatchet in the back and it's thrown by Barry the Baptist, who was sitting on the couch behind him. Yeah, yeah across it was like across the, the desk where Harry was at. So, right. like, you couldn't see it through the front door when you burst through the sides, but anyone who had just taken two seconds to look around the room would have seen him. And Barry's basically like, What the fuck are you doing here? Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, so he, he throws that hatchet into Gary's back, and Gary, without even looking, because he knew it came from directly behind him, fires like the one last shot he had in his pistol yeah. back at Barry. And then both of them look at each other and they're like, what the fuck are you doing here? And Barry's just like, what the fuck are you doing here? And another case of stupid miscommunication and like the uh, just a blink flash in the eye. Now three groups of these four groups of people we have are all dead. <laughs> yeah, this room is getting a little tighter now. <laughs> yeah, it's getting About crazy. Half characters like the- are eliminated. It's crazy. Winston and, and basically is the only one that survived from their group and the marijuana group. And now only people that are all basically alive still is Eddie and Eddie's, Eddie's group. Yeah, Eddie's and, group. Um, Big Chris, Little Chris, Dog, Winston. Um, and, you know, on the topic of uh, Dog and Big Chris, Big Chris gets back to his car where uh, you just had, you know, Little Chris hanging out in the the passenger seat he said that he um you know had parked about a five minute walk away and then walked to harry's uh, porn shop or whatever it was office um anyways when he gets back to the car dog is in the back seat has a knife to little chris's throat is basically like hey you know give me back my money yeah. and the guns that you took from me and, I, and me i'll let your boy you just went yeah exactly yeah and so uh you're right you're totally right and a little bit of irony it's because little big uh i mean big chris didn't want to get a, a ticket and that's, that's exactly right. what over dog in his game was the, the the traffic copper but yeah so you're absolutely right big chris is now uh under a lot of stress because he's driving back to harry's place and while that's happening before 
<clears throat> during, I guess during the drive, I guess that's when Eddie and Tom show up and it's just Eddie and Tom. It's not uh, soap and bacon aren't there. It's just Eddie and Tom mm-hmm. and um, Eddie and Tom go up in, they get another just slap in the face of what the hell's going on here. Cause they go up to Harry's office and the first thing they see is Dean on the ground with two shotgun blasts in his chest and they see Harry's dead. Everyone's dead. And the only thing that's there is the shot, two shotguns and the $500,000 that's right. sitting on his desk. So another, this case of just like, what is going yeah. on here? But, uh, I mean, they, they kind of take it as good fortune. So, I mean, you know, Eddie, he goes ahead and he grabs the duffel bag that they had with 5,000 quid or pounds, whatever in it. Um, <laughs> Both. Meanwhile, Tom wants to take the shotguns and Eddie's like, I, come on, you know, like, I, you need to, like, come back down. We, we need yeah, to we get out of here. here. This is, this yeah. is voodoo or, crazy. We need to go. Right. So Eddie Tom, gets back yeah, down to the car. Reason. Tom's still up at uh, the office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He just has a fascination with those guns from the start for whatever reason. You know, he just you know, always <laughs> wanted to hold on to the gun. So. Well, he did pay 700 pounds for them. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he's just a cheapskate at the end of the day. But <laughs> Eddie, Eddie does leave the office first while um, Tom stays back for a minute to grab the guns. Right. And when Eddie gets back into the car – that's when we get flashback to big Chris again, who's driving back to Harry's and and this is a, it's a crazy part to think that this is the move he did, but it worked out in the end. But big Chris just sees the car that's parked in front of Harry's and just swerves immediately into it, driving directly into the back of the car to try and just like shake off dog. Who's basically uh, got little Chris at knife point. And, Luckily enough, Big Chris doesn't sustain too much injury from it, but Dog gets thrown for a whirl because he didn't have his seatbelt on, or <laughs> maybe, who knows. But um, that's when Big Chris just goes ham on Dog. Oh, he, ta- he, he, he half drags him out of the car, so his head's basically just hanging out of the car, and he just keeps crashing the side of the door into Dog. Nothing is yeah. shown, but a lot is inferred. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we're i feel sorry for little chris who probably just got a real real taste of what his dad could do to people that you know threatened his little boy i guess right but so, yeah, um, now dog is dealt with um yeah he's had his head smashed multiple times with the car door and i think even at the end uh tom might or not not tom uh big chris might stomp him or uh, need his head either way He's out of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's he is dead at but, that point. Uh, that is a beat. That is a beating you don't come back from. Big Chris does go to check up on whoever the driver is in the car in front of him. Finds that it's Eddie. Eddie. Which, I, he doesn't. He doesn't know anybody from that group, but he does recognize the duffel bag that's in Eddie's lap. I think he says something like, "You cheeky, cheeky bastard!" bastard. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, he uh, he goes to bring it back up to Harry who. He feels like it's rightfully his or, you know, Harry, Harry's the, the guy who pays him. He's employer mm-hmm. goes up and that's where he finds Tom with two shotguns. And this is where we get a, uh, another nice kind of voiceover from the narrator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because luckily Tom, I mean, uh, big Chris, you know, he, he went up there to deliver the money right but you know he didn't know that with tom holding the shotguns that they weren't loaded and tom just pointed at them and luckily tom was able to sneak out the side door with his life 
and uh, Big Chris walked away with the cash because Harry and the gang are dead, so mm-hmm. you can't just leave it there. But all during that time, everyone gets um, busted by the cops. This is when the cops actually come into play in the game. So, um, thankful Eddie is seen next because Eddie was uncautious in the crash right next to Harry and all that crazy stuff was going on. Luckily enough, during all the explanation and everything like that, we kind of had a brief explanation with Eddie because of all the craziness that happens. He was trying to talk to Tommy. He was just like, we have this money. The guy we owed it to is dead. Mm-hmm. The people who robbed it, the neighbors who were looking for it, they're also dead. And I believe he even says, like, if I have this down correctly, any sign of us being involved in all of this, we're in the clear. There's no there's no indication that we were involved with this at all. Right. And that's what that basically plays traces back is those shotguns. Exactly. The purchase of the shotguns that, you know, but Tom now has the shotguns. And so uh, Eddie, who's in um, the jail, he's basically getting his line of questioning. Behind the two glass mirror, basically, is the traffic warden that got beat up all those times by all the different gangs. Luckily enough, he was unconscious or dazed or who knows. But when by the third time that that traffic warden got beaten by Eddie and his gang, yeah. he couldn't he couldn't make up heads or tails. <laughs> he didn't recognize so, who was throwing exactly. The <laughs> so the, he's very very lucky. Eddie and the gang are very very lucky because the traffic warden couldn't recognize them. So if they get out scot free. Eddie gets picked up by Alan and JD Sting. Sting gets picked up by them and heads back to the pub. And um, they, the gang is all there together now. And they don't have the cash anymore. And they're worried now about their connection to all this case because they all just got out of jail and they're by the skin of their teeth, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you, like you just said, the only thing that's tying them to the crime is the shotguns. And Tom being in charge of the shotguns and his uncanny desire to keep the 700 quid that he got from Nick the Greek, you know, kept him in the back of his trunk. So now all of them are freaking out saying, you got to get, you got to throw those uh, rivers. You got to throw those guns in the river, like get rid of them. them. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that's going to get us in trouble. And so um, Tom is ordered by the gang to go off and dispose of the guns. And at this point, that's when uh, Big Chris gets reintroduced for the last time by walking into the bar. Right. He walks into the bar. He has the duffel bag with him. Um, says, uh, you know, hey, you you guys took out my employer. So I, I took I, my share, you know, to cover me and my son. But, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the rest is yours. And so drops the duffel bag, walks back out of the bar. Um, Tom, meanwhile, going to go dispose of those shotguns. And uh, the three of them at the bar, they open up the duffel bag. It's, it's completely empty of any cash. And the only thing that it does have inside of it is, is a manila folder. Yeah, Manila folder that contains basically like a kind of antiques evaluation or evaluation of these like old guns. And on one of the pages that they flip to are these two old shotguns. And it actually turns out that they're way more valuable than anybody other than probably Harry was giving them credit for. You know, Mm -hmm. they're 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 in like the two hundred and fifty 
thousand uh three hundred thousand pounds, pounds range exactly and so i mean that's you know that would have been like all the basically like <laughs> it could have made them rich and meanwhile now tom is going to go dispose of them and this is just like the funniest part of the movie right at the very end um, oh totally just another classic like english humor yes. freeze frame ending and um do you mind if i explain it oh yeah go for it okay cool 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 so yeah exactly they're all on their they, mind you guys this is 1998 so they're all getting on their mobile phones that are like old as dirt trying to call up tom's number and tom is at the river thames right on this bridge and he's he's taking his sweet time getting rid of the guns you know he looks in the trunk and he, he gives a sigh of like oh man i wish i could keep you i'm losing 700 pounds because I can't get a hold of Nick the Greek, who Matt mentioned earlier, left town. And so he is, the gang is freaking out in the bar, trying to get a hold of Tom, trying to make sure that he doesn't dispose of the gun so they can sell him. And Tom, first thing he does is he just like puts the guns on the railing and then just gives it like a little slight push just so it'll fall off. Like, oh, I can't do it, but I must. Ah, and it falls. But it only fell about five feet onto a concrete like slab that was keeping it from falling into the river. And so he couldn't just leave it there. So now Tom is reaching over the railing. Basically, he's got one hand on a light post to hold his ground so he doesn't fall in. And he's also got his phone in his hand that he puts into his mouth and he grabs the guns that uh, basically try and toss them in. So he's got one hand on the light post, one hand on the guns, and he's got his phone in his mouth and the phone starts ringing. And so <laughs> now he's in this predicament of like, I can't make a move right now without dropping myself, the guns or the phone into the river. And he just looks towards the camera. We get like a freeze frame of him looking stupidly hanging over this bridge trying to figure out what's going to happen next so yes the movie ends on that freeze frame (laughs) yeah ambiguous ending who knows if he actually gets the money if they save the guns or whatnot but it's very british in the sense that it just ends in this whole craziness that the whole movie itself was crazy for oh yeah great ending that's um (laughs) so maybe one of my favorites that we've done so far Awesome. Awesome. I'm glad I made a good suggestion because I, yeah, I already mentioned before, guys, I do love my crime films, but Guy Ritchie really knows how to paint a picture through crime, but intertwined with comedy and all this, you know, uh, British dialogue, everything, everything that, you know, he paid for the film in pounds, people. This had British written all over it. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, well, a couple of other things before we uh, wrap up this show. Um, listener, if you have somehow gotten to the end of our podcast with us explaining the plot, but haven't seen the movie yourself and now want to see it, I will say it's streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Um, and before this, I've seen it streaming on other platforms, but just right now, the only place I could find it was Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, and also, um, if you've ever seen this movie before, or maybe you haven't seen the movie before, um, on Prime Video as well is Guy Ritchie's other film, which I mentioned in this uh, episode, which is Snatch, which is very – it's very different, but similar in the sense that it's a crime film. It has Jason Statham and a bunch of other characters that are in this film, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very – 
same wise as different subplots that all come together into one explosive ending at the end. But another prime video choice that I would like to make the recommendation for, if you do enjoy British crime films that, and also maybe a little bit of a laugh, because like I said, these movies are hilarious in their own ways. Um, but yeah, uh, do check them out. Do check them out and let us know how, if you like them or not, we're always down to hear about your comments and feedback. Yeah, absolutely. So on that point, we can be reached in two places. Uh, we do have a Instagram at that movie was as well as a Twitter at underscore that movie was go ahead and reach out to us. Tell us if you like this episode, if you like the movies, if you had seen it before and give us any recommendations on movies that you'd like us to watch for future episodes. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I got one more little fact to share that might be a good closer for uh, this episode. Um, there is a British band in um, back in the 90s, 80s, and 90s known as the Stone Roses, and they were popular before Oasis ever came into the scene. And uh, the ending song that we catch the freeze frame in is a song called Fool's Gold. Uh, very, I don't know, it's uh, it, for when I listened to it, I knew that I've mm -hmm. heard it someplace before. And a very catchy tune, almost to the point that if you hear the song, I'm, I know most people will be like, I've heard the song before someplace, somewhere. But one of them being that um, in Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, if any of you guys have owned a PS2 or an Xbox and played the Grand Theft Auto games, that was actually one of the main songs in there. So oh, made okay. that correlation myself and wanted to make sure that I shared it with everyone else too. So have you ever heard the Stone Roses or you like Grand Theft Auto? There's some good songs going through this movie, and one of them is played in the video game and in the outro of the game, uh, the movie. Oh, absolutely! And yeah, I mean, speaking about the soundtrack, I, I, I really love the soundtrack of this whole movie. I more than once pulled out my phone and uh, pulled up Sound Towns to <laughs> identify what the song was, so I could add it to my playlist. Um, a whole bunch of, uh, I mean, kind of the stuff that you would expect for like. Uh, a you know late 90s gangster movie you know some some like you know the stooges and some more like punky stuff but also a lot of funk um james brown or yeah james brown he has two different songs that come on during the movies just like mm -hmm. uh real beat bops <laughs> yeah some yeah definitely and maybe that's because it was for you know rory and his gang or whatever like that and then there's also uh, a greek song uh I, the song name Zorba is called the greek. greek yeah it's a song by john murphy but it's another correlation to snatch in, in this they do the greek songs whenever um because you know greek songs are very bouncy on the notes like bum, 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 you know kind of things like that and so there, it's an excellent uh soundtrack for when um in this film when uh, Rory was going to go confront Eddie and meets up with dog and there's a shootout and stuff like that. It's that slow paced song that gets faster and faster as the craziness begins to happen and it gets crazy. And then there's a big finishing ending kind of thing. So yeah, another great point to mention is that the soundtrack in this movie is fantastic. All right. Well, that's been our episode on Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I think that we did a uh, about as good of a job as we could of covering all of the different uh, groups and subplots. Um, <sighs> listener, I you know. Like I need heard? a nap. I'm sweating here. Talk going through the <laughs> If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast. Check out some of our past episodes. But uh, until next time, Michael, it has been a blast.
Yeah, man. Well, uh, tune in next time, guys. Matt gets to choose what we're going to be watching next time. And uh, just to give you kind of an inclination, if you're a, um, uh, a listener who's heard multiple of episodes are, he did Hard Ticket to Hawaii. So it's any man's choice on what movie we'd be doing next. Another crime movie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I, I think these are but, basically the same movie <laughs> yo dude boobs babes and uh bombs right <laughs> triple b's yeah i was missing a little bit of jason statham but um other than that <laughs> yeah basically but uh great yeah i'll tune in next time guys and until then see you later until then see you later is that our sign off <laughs> <laughs> 